The following program is filled with life-sustaining information for being a good human being. It's also full of shaming for bad humans. Sprinkle in an abundance of lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and the rest of the Lucky Charms alphabet, and you have the Gay BC Happy Hour. Hosted by a couple of fabulous unicorns who just can't help themselves from farting glitter wherever they go. Ladies and gentlemen, and those with pronouns I'm still learning about, here are your bi, coastal friends, Richie Roy and Johnny Mac. Hello, hello, and welcome to the happy hour. Um, We are coming to you from two coasts this week. Last week, we were live in the studio in the mothership of the GBC Enterprise. But uh, I'm I'm sorry, I'm going through withdrawals. I know. You're you're across the table from me. It's hard to believe it's been a whole week since we were here. It really is, you know, it really is sort of shocking um, because it, it, it feels felt like so, so much longer, honestly. And I know that you're like, what? But I'm saying that because so much has happened since we last joined our audience. It has been a whirlwind of a week in our personal and our professional lives. That's true. It's true. And, you know, we, we do, you know, we keep up with our, with our little, you know, with our friends. Uh, and uh, it feels like every night there's kind of like a big new development going on. So, um, yeah, but uh, it, it, it's been a week since, since we were uh, together in Palm Springs and uh, it was a really fun time. Pride in Palm Springs, I have to say is amazing. Um it's really a it's really a place that is kind of tailor made to to have a great time at Pride because you know I had never really spent any time in Palm Springs but um, you know there's there are first of all everything is kind of between six and twelve minutes away from everything else by car and by Uber and there's tons of Ubers around and so you're never you're never kind of spending an hour getting anywhere this so is, and and there's this is one of those handful of cities in the united states of america that's kind of like the disneyland of gay or lgbt yeah 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 and there's so and they're like sort of like arenas uh which is the sort of little strip that has a bunch of gay bars and 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 clubs and gay clothing shops and stuff is just kind of like the the ground zero, you know, that that stuff is always going on. There's food, you know, food trucks and people going out for, you know, drinks and that's all kind of this like sort of center of gravity. But then you have some other spots like the barracks and tool shed and um, some of the, the, you know, the sort of clothing optional resorts. And so everyone's just kind of tootling around, you know, going from spot to spot, having a literal gay old time. Um, and that's all sort of in the week leading up to Sunday, which is when the parade happens. Mm-hmm. And um, and the parade, I have to say, was pretty is is quite substantial. It's it's a really uh, a lot long, of drawn it's out. Long. <laughs> yes, no, it's a big parade as far as it's LGBT big, parades go. The the thing that I do think you know because uh, if you've been to a pride parade you know they they'd like to hand things out like beads and stickers and stuff. I think if if I were if I were a smart person planning my float, I would be handing out little tubes of sunscreen because 
standing there baking in that direct Palm Springs sun for two hours watching a parade go by, um, you know, is not the best for your skin. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I remember when I was working at uh, Sirius Satellite Radio, and even before that, when we had the initial GBC operating, we attended, of course, uh, dozens and hundreds, actually, of Pride events across the United States, Canada, and, uh, you know, year after year after year for several years. And I will say that one of the things that we learned, and this kind of plays true as well, if you're one of the people who is going to be handing stuff out in a parade uh, or at a Pride event, is that um, he or she who has the best bag wins the day. The one that wants to be seen, the one that is easy to carry, the one that is easy to keep a lot of your stuff in and, you know, not have to, you know, be stuffing stuff in your pockets and looking for space to, to put those things that people are handing out. So, um, fortunately, uh, somebody was handing out uh, those little, like, nylon uh, I guess over string your shoulder, bags. string bags, yeah. And this and that, year that, that turned out that to was be the, a blessing. That was, I have to say, that was, I think, pretty much the best swag um, handed out. And I believe that that was the, actually the airport. Yeah. The Palm Springs Airport was handing that out. Yeah, they spent a lot of money this year on uh, marketing. They even had a big uh, float in the parade this year. Yeah, they had a big float. I, I think that... Um, uh, I will give uh, extra props to Alaska Airlines for having an actual inflatable airplane that was sort of dancing around. Um, you know, always an inflatable always, you know, is yeah. is a fantastic thing. So, um, and there was also, you know, we had talked about it. Um, we've talked about it since since we since the parade. But one of the things that that I know uh, that uh, John and I both found very very moving and very um, important was the involvement of uh, the local schools, the, the, the yeah, teachers association it, it and, the, with and a, the high schools. Yeah. It started with a contingent of probably about 50 educators who were members of the California teachers association. And they had kind of like the lead presence and then following them. I think I counted somewhere between 15 and 18 different elementary, middle and high school organizations that were essentially GSAs, you know, Gate Street Alliances. And it makes me tear up seeing that and thinking, you know, how brave that is uh, compared to, you know, when I was in high school. <laughs> I can't even imagine grade school being, you know, in fourth or fifth grade and being in a group, uh, a GSA group. And let alone being out on this, you know, on the street route, you know, showing up uh, off to everybody and having fun like that, but also, you know, making a statement. And it just makes your heart glow to see mm -hmm. that there are um, LGBTQIA plus uh, people as well as their ally friends who are marching in in one of these pride parades and to see it from so many schools across our region it was amazing yeah and and i the thing is i thought that the the, the gsas um were really amazing to see just the you know the the kids yeah. kind of in all of their kind of diverse glory but then i also thought there was something actually very moving about the just 
plain old high school marching band. Yeah. You know, marching in the gay pride parade, playing a song that it was that, that it's sort of it's so normalized and so kind of, you know, I, you know, socially, um, you know, condoned or acceptable that, you know, for the, mar- the the high school marching band to be in the gay pride parade. I thought that that was really cool, too, because it's also like there there isn't some kind of nasty stigma attached to right. being in a gay pride parade, you yeah. know? Even um, Cathedral City High School, which is the one that's closest to where I live, uh, it is a school that, uh, and Cathedral City is a sanctuary city here. And Cathedral City High School has, uh, I think, somewhere on the order of 75 to 80% of its uh, student body uh, that is matriculated there are undocumented people. And uh, and so we have, of course, a lot of people here who are from south of the border. And there was uh, one of the groups that was in the parade that was from uh, Cathedral City High School was uh, this group of traditional um, uh, Mexican or Latina dancers. And they were dressed in these beautiful uh, dresses and and, you know, uh, doing their thing out in the street. And it was just, it was really, it was something you would see like in a Macy's uh, Thanksgiving Day Parade type, you know, of performance. And uh, to see those kids out there at a, you know, gay pride parade, you know, it, it was, it, it's special to see that kind of thing. And I think you brought up another good point when you were here uh, this past week, Richie, which was, that, you know, I had mentioned to you, I was like, you know, this is so awesome to see this and to know this is not going backwards. This is going forward because, you know, more young people uh, being brave like this and being out there and building uh, relationships with people at large and making it normalized to, you know, to be able to be out as a openly LGBTQIA person. Um, well, you also brought up the fact that, yes, but then there's places like and things that we're seeing like in Florida or Texas. And we're going to talk about some of that later in this program, but um, knowing that some of them uh, are a long way from being able to be at this point. But my hope would be is that this shows that this is, you know, the future, not, you know, we're not heading back to the past. Yeah. I mean, cause the thing is that what, what it really highlights is the real life effects of something like in Florida, like the don't say gay bills in schools, because if you can't say gay in a school, you can't have a gay, you know, a gay straight alliance. You can't have, um, you know, there are a lot of things you can't have, you, you know, and, um, and it, it really does kind of put kids back in the closet, um, in this really real way. Um, apart from, you know, curriculum and books and stuff, it also just in, you know, in this kind of social way, um, you know, it, it creates uh, it creates a situation where, you know, what do you what happens even, you know, if if someone has gay parents, right, you know, are they, you know, it, it does it, it becomes like some kind of problematic issue for them to acknowledge their actual reality. It's it just. So, yeah, it was really heartening to see. And it just to me, it kind of galvanized me in a way to think to really think about the actual concrete effects, you know, beyond just reading the headlines and sort of, you know, paying attention to to things like book bans. But to think like there are there are young people in some states in this country who won't have this same experience, Um, which isn't to say, you know, I think that that thankfully because of the internet and social media, there are other ways for people to 
to express themselves and to be themselves, you know, with and find their tribe. But it definitely, you know, it puts a damper on things. Um, well, one of the so, other things, yeah. one of the other things that happened at our um, attendance of the LGBTQ Pride here in Palm Springs this past weekend is we were invited. The GBC team was invited to a special uh, breakfast where the VIPs for this year's event, the various grand marshals that had been announced and such, were uh, at this breakfast. And it was held at the Desert Regional Medical Center uh, at their Sturdish Tower. And we had a beautiful morning event there and had a chance to meet some really great people. Um, one of them you're probably not familiar with, and one of them you are. Uh, both of them, Richie got an opportunity to talk to for a few moments uh, that morning. Uh, we had, unfortunately, our time was cut short with our second guest um, because she had been called to do her duties at this event. But um, the first one is a 91-year-old person who is the oldest living and ongoing drag queen in the world, Gypsy, who was part of the cast for decades of uh, Le Cajafol and who has been in movies and done all sorts of kind of uh, all sorts of stuff uh, and including uh, had for several years quite a run here in Palm Springs at a location called Oscars that people who've been here are very familiar with because there's been a lot of very high profile people who've been through Oscars uh, which is a LGBTQ uh, bar and theater establishment. So let's listen in on the conversation, first of all, with Gypsy. We are here with the legendary Gypsy. Hi, how are you? And a welcome. It's a great day. It is. It's nice weather. We're here at this lovely event. So tell me about your sort of relationship to Palm Springs. Well, my relationship is I came here 14 years ago. I was off tour and I was with the man who owns Oscars here, Dan Gore. He produced me in a big show in Lake Tahoe in Vegas. And it closed after four, six years. And we came here to establish Oscars. So that's, but I had been to Palm Springs many years before when I was doing a lot of films. And so it's been wonderful. And now, of course, it's a great honor. They picked me to be the Grand Marshal today. And especially because this year's theme is drag. Yes, and here I am, as close as you can get at 91. <laughs> I did everything but buy the cement for the makeup. <laughs> it's a pleasure, and I have to say your outfit is fabulous today. It is, isn't it? And there's a history to this. Zsa Gabor and her sisters, Ava, who I was very close with, and Magda, their mother, Mama Jolie, in the 60s and 70s, owned a, and earlier, owned a jewelry shop in New York. And this is a necklace from her shop. So this is, was made along with the outfit. Well, it looks fabulous. So Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. And have a wonderful time at Pride. And, and uh, you too. And it's going to be the biggest one I think it's ever seen. So they say there's 100,000 people here. Wow. So... We'll have to wave and hope somebody sees us. I think, and I think they will. <laughs> I think they will. Thank you so yeah, thank much. You. And have a wonderful ride. And then uh, this other tall thing with a big blonde wig uh, happened to spend a minute or so with Richie. Let's give a listen to him and Trixie Mattel. I'm here with someone who needs no introduction, Trixie Mattel. Happy Pride, Trixie. Hi, it's 8 in the morning. They had the nerve to call this a brunch. I was like, brunch is not at 8 a.m. 
if this is brunch, when was breakfast? Three in the morning? Like, give me some clues here. But um, it's so beautiful. Everybody looks so great. The food, although in drag I don't eat food, I know that it looks good, and I hope everybody enjoys it. You are the Grand Marshal, and we are very happy to have you here. What's your relationship with Palm Springs? David and I, my partner of seven years, who I think is behind me. I don't know. He's somewhere. We went here three months into our, our dating, and we said, wouldn't it be fun someday if we had a rental here? And then five, six years into dating, we were like, well, what if we, instead of a rental, had something that was Trixie-themed? We could, you know. We always dreamed of having our, our life in Palm Springs, and we love it here. Awesome. And, of course, there's the motel. <laughs> yes, of course, the Trixie Motel, the most beautiful, prolific. Oh, it's so pretty. You, I tell everybody, you get to Palm Springs and take a right, basically. <laughs> you, you have to kind of, like, anybody who comes to town, even if you're not staying with us, please stop in, have a drink, gift shop. Buy a pool pass, you know, oop, God is, that's God. Do you hear it? And with that, uh, we went to the parade. It was a beautiful day to be at a parade. It was very nice. It was sunny and it was warm, but not, you know, by Palm Springs uh, measures, it was not over the top warm. So um, it was really a lot of fun. And I have to say, uh, Richie, that it was just such a pleasure to have you and our friends uh, uh, Peyton and Braden and James and uh, you know a couple of other people who are new to our group at least out here uh, for me uh, who are with us also um, and uh, it was great to have Pop Axel with us and um, you know all the all the friends who got together here and I can't wait for next year and hopefully more people will join us absolutely we're going to continue with more of the happy hour in just a moment. We're going to welcome your phone calls as well. 760-677-0111. You can join us on any of our topics this evening. Thanks for being along. From GayBC.com, this is the happy hour. With your hosts, Richie Roy and Johnny Mack, your source for conversation, current events, culture, and all things LGBTQ. Yes, yes. Welcome back to the happy hour. And uh, yeah, so uh, so Palm Springs was great, but now back real world. And uh, and we're going from, from a bastion of uh, gay paradise to a very different kind of place. <laughs> yeah, thank. Uh, we are talking. We're talking about a someone who we've talked about before, uh, n- not a stranger to the show. Um, this is mayoral candidate Gabrielle Hansen. Dateline this is in Franklin, Franklin Tennessee. Tennessee. Exactly. So we're in Franklin, Tennessee, and uh, in this tiny town, uh, there was a MAGA mayoral candidate, this Gabrielle Hansen, who is a truly, I mean, a kind of a nut of the utmost sort of galaxy brain degree, um, who lost huge by a margin of four to one. Um, And of course, uh, that means that she is now claiming that there was voter fraud. Um, Now, if if you don't remember our discussion of Gabrielle Hansen, uh, Hansen uh, tried to shut down Franklin's pride celebration, claiming that children would be Uh, Corrupted by a drag queen who once ate a live beating heart, which is not true. Um, 
uh, one of her aides testified at a uh, council meeting that gay people were giving bl- butt plugs to children and training them how to use them. Again, uh, not true. She brought uh, and someone who is a self-proclaimed Nazi f- to be security at a at a campaign event. Um, and then some some weird stuff that came out later. She um, in the '90s she uh, pled guilty to promoting prostitution. The story that struck me as kind of odd. In, in 2008, she encouraged her husband to march in Chicago's Pride Parade wearing a speedo, which I don't know what that's about. But anyway, uh, a really strange person, kind of in the Marjorie Taylor Greene kind of mm-hmm. you know vibe. Uh, but she. I'm happy to say that even in a in a place like Tennessee, that um, those antics did not win her any love, and she lost big time. Thank God. I mean, you <laughs> always think that that is what's going to happen when you're dealing with people who are um, well beyond the spectrum and off the planet on you know Earth too. But yeah. uh, at the same time, um, you just can't count on that anymore because it's surprising. To me, for instance, that there were 75 million people who voted for the former guy. So um, we just can't take common sense for granted anymore in this day and age. But it was such a good feeling not only to have that happen, but also for other things. And we'll talk about them later in the program that had transpired over the course of uh, yesterday with various elections that happened in many states around the country. And I think that that's kind of the beginning of the unraveling of that insanity because I think that there's a lot of people who are really realizing that even though they may not support that either, but they publicly can't say that. People who are in positions of power can't really call out these people who fall into that ultra-mega camp because then they'll get targeted and primaried or things like that, so they can't really be honest and out about who and what they believe in. There's a lot, I know, there's a lot of good conservative people in this country who have concerns about, you know, various types of, and we may completely disagree about it, but have, you know, various perspectives that are not devastating when it comes to public policy, but they take a much more uh, conservative stance than either Richie or I would, for instance. But, uh, and a lot of those people will tell people quietly, well, I'd never vote for so-and-so or I wouldn't support so-and-so, but when it comes to what they're on the record as doing or even how they voted in, you know, legislative bodies, you you wouldn't know it. Because they're scared to death. Yeah, they're scared to death, and and I think more. I think another. Uh, this this kind of brings up one of the things that I think is especially a, a problem um, in our body politic, which is um, which is gerrymandering. Because what happens is, especially when you look at the House, you have these. Um, I'm sorry, we where, lost you there for just a second, Richie. You froze up. We have these what? Okay. These gerrymandered districts that are very safely red or you know safely blue, but what what that means is um, that in order to kind of catch the attention, uh, you're you're not actually you're not playing to the center, you're playing to the to the factions. Right. And so when you have a, these very gerrymandered red 
districts, what is appealing to them is the most radical possible person because they don't have to try to catch any, you know, sort of um, any Democrats or even kind of, you know, uh, independents because of the way that the lines are drawn. And so what you end up with is a increasingly um, these kind of MAGA crazies um, who are kind of untouchable and in fact very popular in their, you know, in their districts because of what they're saying, not in spite of it. And, you know, you don't, and these kind of moderate Republicans that we're talking about um, are not appealing to that, to that candidate, to that population. And because they're, they're not able to sort of break through the noise and actually, you know, there's no Democrats or independents for them to pick up. The House especially is a place that is increasingly full of really obnoxious voices of toxic people who don't care about governance because they're the most stridently, you know, right wing trollish person that that, you know, would get on the ballot. Yeah, I don't personally believe as an example that even the majority of the majority, so the majority of the Republican caucus in the United States House of Representatives, I do not believe that they fall into that Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, Lauren Boebert camp. I think that they're a lot more like um, people like Adam Kinzinger was and and uh, certainly Liz Cheney, who, you know, and she, on, the, on solely the merits of her public policy, uh, stance scares the crap out of me, but she's a smart person and she's not willing to violate her commitment to protect the Constitution of the United States. And I think that there's a lot of people who feel that way, but then they act differently when they're on the record with a vote because they're afraid of how they'll be treated by, you know, the megas who are going to do everything that they can to rock the boat and get them out of office because they don't want mainstream conservative people they want other wackos like themselves exactly and and it and, and that's they all about keeping actually... power from gbc.com this is the happy hour with your hosts richie roy and johnny mack your source for conversation current events culture and all things lgbtq Hello, and welcome back to the happy hour. I'm sorry um, I cut you off there so fast. Somebody was yeah. not thinking and had the uh, the automation channel where the music comes up uh, turned down after it <laughs> faded out the last time, and so I I don't know what I was thinking, but I anyway, we got cut off there, so my apologies we, to the audience on that. No worries. Yeah, Um but yeah, I mean, I think, to, you know, to go back to what you were saying, um, you know, and, and we have another topic, but I think to finish out that topic um, is that I think that that you're, you know, th there is this, I, I have so many thoughts on this that I could go on forever. But, um, you know, I think one of the things that I've noticed um, is the sort of informate the the sort of truth free content free reality free world that the kind of marjorie taylor greens and sort of the maga folks live in i really think you have to lay a lot of that on the doorstep of facebook specifically facebook because when i go on facebook which is something that i don't do very often the amount of that kind of 
that kind of content that it surfaces for me, conspiracy theory stuff, you know, junk, junk articles, kind of um, sort of right leaning garbage material. It just serves that stuff up. And I think especially if you like that thing, that stuff, it really will will populate your feed with absolute sort of mind erasing garbage. Yeah. Hang on just a second here because I think this is appropriate for us to start our next segment with. Yes. Take us to Texas, to Oklahoma. Uh, what a story this is, and what a bummer, actually, of a story. Yeah. Um, so a Texas high school was putting on uh, a production of Oklahoma, and there was a senior uh, whose name is Max Hightower, uh, who was cast as the male lead in this, you know, very classic musical and everything was fine, but then uh, several days later, the school's principal uh, informed Max and uh, that uh, and Max's parents that that uh, he would not be allowed to play the role because of a new policy. And the policy is that actors and actresses can only play a role that was the same gender they were assigned at birth. Right. So Max is a trans man, and. Uh, Apparently, the school ginned up a new policy that is transphobic and also ridiculous, um, and 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 even further to sort of be even more ridiculous. Um, they ultimately then postponed the production of Oklahoma altogether uh, to the you know, indefinite future because Oklahoma. Uh, quote, contained mature adult themes, profane language, and sexual content. And so, therefore, Oklahoma, you know, clearly the world's most edgy musical, um, <laughs> you know, is being postponed indefinitely by this school. This is the stupidest it's fucking place. I'm sorry. Like, like this is just idiocy on the highest level. I, and I don't – it's it's a bummer because, you know uh, – Max Hightower, you know, was very active in the sort of in drama, um, got the role, you know, and I'll say this, Max's dad, uh, did talk with a local television station there, uh, and talked about how, uh, I mean, he is as upset as, as his son is, um, that, uh, he thought actually that he would be, uh, that his son, that Max would be more of an emotional mess and all that, and Max is actually really taking it in stride, and and I guess good for him because uh, I think that his being able to do that and to keep his cool through all of this will help ultimately in the in the fight to expose how retarded, pardon my use of the R word, this is um, of a situation. But it really is a retardation on the part of that school board, of that school's administration, and all that, because they are certainly stuck back in the 1950s on this thing. 
and it's just really annoying to see that this is happening anywhere in America in the year 2023. It it is, and it's also it just it has it smacks of um, of a principal who's just an asshole yeah. because you know it wasn't like there was some standing policy. It was like Max got cast. And then several days later, they announced this policy that they, you know, they clearly just wrote up on the back of a cocktail napkin, you know, well, that you can't. And they and, tried and to they, make they, it sound like Oklahoma violated all these other things because it was a play that had adult situations that were not age appropriate for a high school. I'm sorry, but in high schools these days and with the things that high school students have to face in everyday life. There's, I can't think of virtually any issue or any topic or any sort of uh, degree of adultness to something uh, other than, say, maybe having something that was just outright sexually explicit that is inappropriate for them to be talking about or to be portraying or anything, even though that's not the case with this particular play. But, you know, based on the school district's nonsense that they were... Um, telling the public with regards to making this decision uh, since it seems like they've kind of somewhat, I don't want to say backtracked, but they've kind of tried to play down the fact that it's, you know, about the, the trans thing. Um, it's just, it's, it's utter nonsense. It's, I mean, of course it's nonsense. We're talking about Oklahoma. This this is like like an old chestnut of a musical. We're not talking about showgirls, you know. Yeah. And and the idea that that there, these mild quote adult themes, you know, in a silly you know ancient musical. I mean, give me a break. I mean, like you like you mentioned, yeah, it's not the best little whorehouse in Texas. Although there's probably one of those just down the street from the school. Yeah, the principal probably goes there on the regular. Yeah. Um, you know, but uh, no, this. It just, it really just is, it also, you know, I, the point was made, and I think it's a good point, that it also just flies in the face of actual kind of like dramatic, the history of the theater, because there's a long, long storied tradition of people cross-dressing or playing different genders in theater. It's yeah. it, it's a, it, it's actually like sort of built into kind of the DNA of, of theater. And so to kind of just like, gin up this new policy that clearly is was was a, made to uh, really just disenfranchise one particular person. Well, Max just looked to be perfect dicks. for the part. Uh, there is a photograph of Max on the GBC radio uh, page for our show, gbchappyhour.com, uh, that's up there uh, this week. And so if you want to check that out, you can certainly go to our, our homepage and, and see him. And, you know... I just I feel really bad for kids that are not going to get to have a the full experience that you should have when you're in uh, high school uh, and when you are participating in like extracurricular activities like drama and, and stuff like that solely because you've got adults who've got their heads so buried up their ass that it's you know it just ruins the day. It does, and you know, and, and this kind of. Uh, you know, again, it, it goes to um, the fact that the policies like these, you know, like the, the the trans bathroom bills, things like this policy, really are really about 
erasure. It's about trans erasure and trying to just delete trans people from existing in in the world and in in you know in reality because you know max is a real person of course and and you know and to have policies that are basically trying to just disenfranchise this person from enjoying their education and and frankly getting the the full education that they deserve you know drama is part of you know for many students um is part of of their educational life you know a very important part um and to to have this sort of really draconian and ridiculous policy put in place to you know for a senior especially uh to kind of strip them of their ability to be in 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 a musical it's just it's appalling yeah well um look one of the things i truly believe in uh is making people who do dumb things like that uh, feel the pain of having to, at the very least, answer a lot of phone calls, emails, or letters. So I'm going to give everybody the telephone number for Sherman High School in Sherman, Texas. Uh, so if you want to get a pen handy, and of course, with this being uh, also on our podcast, or when we're podcast, you can just scroll the audio back a step. But if you want to get a pen, if you're listening to us live, and write down the phone number, the number for Sherman High School is area code 903-891-6440. That's 903-891-6440. And let them know. What do you think? Let's deluge their, uh, I hate to hurt the receptionist, but let's make sure that uh, the principal gets uh, every message he deserves this week for this nonsense yeah no it's it's you know it, it and kudos to max hightower for you know taking the high road here exactly no i totally agree um and you know again this goes back to um what what the reality is for specifically students high school students uh in a place like palm springs versus a place like Texas. Yeah, this um, is exactly the kind of stuff that you you think about when you look at the yin and the yang of uh, what we saw last weekend at the Palm Springs Pride event uh, at the parade when we saw you know basically a dozen and a half groups of elementary through high school students out there on the front lines doing awareness and showing their support for LGBTQ students and teachers and, and it's you know i great get to be I in a place the where the too. system gets it yeah and the thing is i think that this principle is 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 clearly on the wrong side of of history and i think probably on the wrong side of just even the reality on the ground i have a sense and i don't have any anything to support this but i bet that max's fellow students love max and actually, we're really psyched that Max was going to get to be the the male lead role in Oklahoma, and um, you know, I I think that the in that way the you know kind of like you were saying that this the kind of current generation is so far ahead in terms of acceptance, um, you know, of their peers. By the um, way, I, I have to just add the fact that I gave you the phone number. Um, it's really important too. I think that I need to give you the principal's name. Uh, and his name is Scott Johnston, 
J-O-H-N-S-T-O-N. And apparently he's been there before, but he has just returned as principal in this school year. So Scott Johnston, uh, in all of his shiny-headedness, um, <laughs> and we have lots of shiny-headed friends, but uh, uh, he maybe maybe do this. Maybe send him a can of turtle wax for his head with a note that <laughs> says, you know, um, we want you to get your shine on and take away the the dullness of your of of your homophobia and transphobia. Yeah, no, because it's just you, you know when someone is so Grinch like, you know, l- this is a Grinch move, right? Totally. To literally come up, uh, you know, to 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 disenfranchise one particular student that this that this principal is going to pull this shit with gays you know with with gays generally is going to be supportive of book bans is going to be supportive of anti-trans bathroom bills you know is gonna is gonna just try to immiserate a lot of people and you're right i mean i think that the kids probably you know think of this principle as being this rightfully so as, as a kind of disgusting Neanderthal. But, you know, I think it's parents like, you know, Max's parents sound like they're pretty good advocates. And, you know, I think that it, it takes the community to kind of, you know, name and shame and be like, this is not actually cool. Um, so I, I agree with you. I think, you know, it's worth, worth sort of advocating. Yeah. We're going to continue with more of the GBC happy hour with, Richie Roy, I'm Johnny Mack, and you must have some sort of opinion, not just sitting there thinking, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm totally with these guys. No, they're full of it. Uh, let us know what you think. Give us your perspective. Otherwise, we're just going to continue to hog the mic. 760-677-0111. That's 760-677-0111. And when you get the prompt, you'll hit the five key and it'll put you through to the studio and we'll get you on the air. So thanks for being with us and hope you're having a great week. It's not always laughter and games on the GBC Happy Hour with Richie Roy and Johnny Mac, but when it is, you'll know when it's time to cut them off. Now, back to the beer pong. Uh, I mean show. Boys? Remember when we used to think, Richie, that it was just going to be fun and games and laughter to sit back and watch this nincompoop uh, who was the governor of Florida who had blown everything, like all of COVID and, you know, putting silly bans on people that you can't really put on people because we have, you know, a thing called the United States Constitution and all that. And and knowing that he was just going to go down in flames, but then he kept going a little further and a little further a little further. And now even his supporters are crapping on him. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they are, they are abandoning the, uh, the uh, pudding eater, uh, left and right, <laughs> like you know, like rats on a sinking ship, um, which is what his candidacy, candidacy is. So yeah, things are not looking good for our uh, our intrepid anti-hero down there in Florida, um, Ron DeSantis. Um, 
you know, between the rises in his shoes to the um, to the the finger pudding to the, you know, uh, endorsements that are fleeing him uh, left and right. Uh, it's not looking good. Frankly, and, you know, part of it is uh, if you watch any clips of him at all interacting with people with humans, um, I mean, he's like. He's like a Teddy Ruxpin doll, you know, with with like with the wrong tape in it. He just doesn't actually have all of the proper programming that a normal human has. No, especially when he tried to do his impersonation of Nancy Sinatra in the white boots. Oh, yeah, I mean that that iconic image of him in the white waiters. Um, uh, you know, it was just uh, I. It was that was that that is one of the most images is just seared into my brain. Yeah. But no, you know, he when he's interacting with people, um, either he's prickly and and bitchy or he's kind of trying to be fake friendly. But he has this kind of like like a horrifying um, fake laugh that he does. And he kind of bears his teeth and kind of like brays uh He's just not. He's not. He's not well. You know, he's, gonna, he's sort of isn't fully formed. We're going to have a guest next week, completely unrelated to anything political. Who um, Richie and I were surprised, shocked, um, flabbergasted to know was in fact somebody who is a supporter of Ron DeSantis's presidential campaign. And we're having a conversation with this person about something absolutely non-political related. So I don't know that it would come up. But I would definitely, I would love to ask him, and maybe we can before the show and see where it goes, um, what it is uh, in terms of any sort of public policy, um, nothing to do with anything to do with the border or with stuff like COVID. I want to know what it is that he sees that he could potentially do to help people in their pocketbooks uh, to um, be able to keep a roof over their family's head. I, I just I don't get what he thinks he is capable based on what he has talked about or what we have seen reported in the press or discussed, you know, um, uh, in other circles about how he is in any way, shape, or form qualified to be the president of the United States. All I see him as is somebody who is ready to institute bans on any number of things that are criti critical to people's lives from living to culture. And, and I just, I don't, who wants to vote for him? I mean, why? Yeah. I mean, the the thing that the only thing that that he has going for him is that his whole brand is always sticking it to the libs. That's the that's the brand. It's not it's not any kind of po real policies. It's you know he's not a he's not a which you know for someone with his you know he has a good educational background, um, which you know I I'm always shocked by, but um, but he's he's really all about you know these kind of culture war. Um, you know, scoring points against the libs. You know, the, this Disney, this quixotic Disneyland thing, or Disney thing that he's always against. You know, Disney spoke out against the "Don't Stay Gay" bill. Yeah, and he's made it his life's mission to try to, 
get back at Disney, you know, uh, which has a huge presence in Florida, however he can. I mean, talk about picking a fight with, you know, the dog that caught the bumper of the fire truck. I mean, don't they like employ like one in 15 uh, citizens that are employed in the state of Florida or something? It's some ridiculous number. Maybe it's, it's, it's not crazy, that low, yeah. but, but still, um, why would you, you know, in any way, short, shape, or form, want to do that? And it just, to me, that is a mind-boggling approach to uh, serving in public office. And, uh, you know... T- well, he's got, he's got the... I mean, he might the- be the perfect candidate uh, to, or the perfect person to bring forward the person I just heard yesterday that the former guy wants to now bring in as his vice president uh, this year, which is Tucker Carlson, because he also is well-educated, but is dumber than a box of freaking rocks. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, what what we what you see with Ron DeSantis is um, it, there's this particular brand of Republican MAGA man, which is um, autocratically minded, extremely thin-skinned, um, and and sort of socially not well adjusted. I mean, you know, and, and what he basically is, is he's Donald Trump without the kind of, without the charisma. I mean, which, because the thing is, you know, yeah. I, I think you have to give that the former president, he he has a way of, of at least with a certain percentage of the of the country right he has a way of capturing their attention and you know he has his nickname his little pithy nicknames he has his bomos he you know there are things that he does that are savvy political moves he's savvy in a lot of ways he's yeah. not i mean he's objectionable of course and and his policies are are garbage and he was a terrible president and you know we can go on and on but but to give him his due he is good at capturing attention yeah and the thing is ron DeSantis, i think wants to have he's he's the former president without any of the charisma and with actually just a sort of sense of yeah, of, a of sort of freaking petty, wet dish rag yeah this sort of petty menace you know it's yeah, I'm I'm shocked that he, you know, that he did seem for a while to kind of capture the hearts and attention of of the Republican donor class that that were thinking he might be the heir apparent <laughs> because if you just watch him, you know, watch a YouTube clip of him for 2 seconds, you just see the that he's uh he's not he's fundamentally an uninteresting and and un, not a, even a serious candidate. Yeah. Well, maybe the first thing that should happen is that the former president should give him a, a few tips, send him over to Russia, have him suck up to Vladimir uh, for a day or two, uh, get his face pissed on by a couple of whores in a hotel room, and um, and get back to Florida and get on the trail. But uh, he just brings zero, if you ask me, to the to the you know to the opportunity of what well to the job that you need to do to become president of the United States. And it's sad that somebody like uh, Donald Trump could uh, appeal to people based on the fact that he was this kind of D-list television celebrity uh, doing his uh, apprentice show. Um, but I don't know. You know, I, When we were, when he, we went to uh, 
Cleveland in 2016 for the uh, coronation, uh, you know, the Republican National Convention there. Mm-hmm. Um, up until that time, the show that I had been working with, we had had on the program a number of times, and that was the first time we had in person with us was at that convention uh, that um, African-American uh, female duo known as Diamonds and Silk, who right. were uh, big suck-ups to him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and we'd listen to them. I mean, I thought, you know, they, they were at least entertaining. But right. um, we would listen to them, you know, earnestly about why it is that they were really behind him. And and they truly bought into the character of Donald Trump from The Apprentice. Yeah. And, and you know, and you have to stop and think that that's how so many millions of people in the United States are going to look at him. And well, y- you can't it, discount it, that. Yeah, but it also, I think what it goes to is is a fundamental misunderstanding of what the role of president is and what right. the sort of, with the checks and balances and the balance of powers, what a president can and can't do. You know, there's this, there's, there is this kind of, desire amongst certain people, especially on the right, for an autocrat, for basically, you know, the quote, chief executive, the you're fired presidency. That's no. not a, that's not really how it was designed no. um, at all. And um, and so that's kind of, I think, a structural problem and, and a knowledge problem, again, to go back to my desire for better civics education. But, you know, for I have an additional aesthetic thing, which is... Um, which is why do all these people, the, the Carlsons, the DeSantis's, the Trumps, they literally look like they have not had a successful bowel movement in several decades. They're, they're just literally, they, they look like an impacted bowel. What is that? And on that note, we're going to get you to uh, news if you're with us live or we'll be with you again in just a matter of moments uh, if you're listening to the podcast after the fact. And we will remind you. That uh, so long as your bowels are not uh, impacted, uh, you can call us at 760-677-0111 in our next hour, where we are going to continue to talk about stuff that affects all of us, and we're going to have a lot of fun as well. We've still got, uh, well, things like, uh, you know, our tips on good and bad business, and Richie's going to be in the mixology corner, and we're even going to tell you how to have a safe trick. That's no treat. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System, the leader in network radio. I bet you didn't know professional shows could use the F word. Well, it depends on which ones you're talking about. On the Gay BC Happy Hour, we roll with the times. For instance, Johnny loves fantastic, far out, and even an occasional fuck. Freaky. Richie, he's okay with fella, fuddy-duddy, and occasionally fit, Fun. Depending on what you do with it. But they both draw the line at fag, because in fact, God does love fags. And Fred Phelps found out when he got to hell. Here are your F-bombs, Richie Roy and Johnny Mac. Hey, faggot, I gotta tell you, I love you. Aww. <laughs> You're too sweet, my friend. Um, <laughs> welcome back to the happy hour, everyone. Um, and uh, yes, so this uh, so to a happier story because we've had some we've had some you know some stories that are a little bit more kind of grim. But this is this one's a good one. This isn't this is a win, a big win that we have. It sure um, so, was. 
What was that? I said it sure was. So this is um, in the great state of Ohio. And Ohio voters, um, they approved issue one, which was a constitutional amendment to guarantee the right to abortion and other forms of reproductive health care. Um, this is a, you know, this is a really big, um, and there have been several states that have had sort of wins in this, in this regard since the overturning of Roe v. Wade with, um, with, was it the Dobbs case? Um, and, uh, so what we're seeing, and I think it's, it's actually pretty interesting is the topic of reproductive rights is galvanizing the left and galvanizing, I think, not even just the left, but even independents and other people to, you know, who don't want to see this country sliding back, you know, into the, the distant past. Um, and so, yeah, so Ohio, you know, which is, you know, not necessarily known as the world's bluest place, um, passed, you know, a constitutional amendment protecting the right to abortion. So, that's that's really you know great news you know this week it is great news and uh, i've s- certainly felt like ohio has been getting uh much more purplish shade rather than just being a deep red i know that they have certainly had or they have certainly been at the center of attention for some of the uh, reddest of the red meat that has happened over the last two decades but uh, I, I'm i not going to be surprised if we start seeing a lot more of that state flip because there's a lot of things that they have come to depend on that they have been the beneficiaries of out of this administration these past few years. Mm-hmm. And um, again, we need to come back to the fact that the Democratic Party uh, does such a horrible job marketing itself and really needs to uh, achieve a much better uh, results on that front and getting across what they have done that has actually helped the American people in their pocketbook, but yeah, uh, and and in other ways as well. But certainly, that's the thing that most people think about. I think when it comes time to elect, and and one of the biggest things that that a president really has no bearing on, but the president always takes the heat on, and that is the price of what it. It, or what the price is to put petrol in your tank, you know, to move your car down the road. And that's not something that the president really can affect. But when it comes to some of these, you know, other issues that are also, you know, whether it's health care or it's something like the right to, uh, you know, uh, make decisions about your reproductive health, um, that's something that the, the president has been like the biggest cheerleader on. And when you look at how even among Republicans and independents, especially Republican women in the country, and then you see the results of of a battle like um, issue one in Ohio last night, uh, and you're sitting there thinking, you know, oh my God, you know, I just heard CNN just reported that there's, they have a poll and Donald Trump's going to beat him. You know, no, he's not. And certainly, they're the last people I would listen to about any sort of polling like that. Um, at the same time, you know, when you stop and think about the fact that last night, just like uh, several months ago in 
where was it? Was it Oklahoma or Nebraska or where, wherever it was that they had that referendum? And it just it blew people away, the margin by which there was support for uh, abortion rights. And we're going to see this until this issue is resolved in the form of, uh, you know, codification into law uh, for protecting people having the right to an abortion. Uh, it's going to continue to be this way, and it's not going to get better for the right. It's only going to get better for mm. the left on this matter, and not even for the left, but for all of humanity, because the United States of America had that in place, you know, for what, five decades? And then all of a sudden you strip that away, and people who might have been very devout to being Republican are suddenly not so devout. You know, and they know that it is these lawmakers who are making those decisions and pushing that uh-huh. agenda. If any of that made any sense, I don't know. Uh, sorry, I, I I cut out for a second. <laughs> well, I just I'm saying, you know, essentially that that it doesn't matter whether you're red or blue or have been in the past. On this particular issue, by a large margin, by a supermajority, that voters in this country want to protect reproductive rights for women. Yeah, and and and, and I think you know, and, and I think where this where the in Ohio this really showed in the fact that Republicans kind of knew that was the case because they tried a bunch of rat fuckery to try to keep issue one from actually happening. Um, they tried to change the the to change the goalpost to make it that it had to be sixty percent in order to get it right. an amendment on the ballot. They they changed the language of the actual issue one to have inflammatory language in it. They they really they I think that they knew that this is a loser and they just they were trying to change the rules of the game midstream because they saw the writing on the wall. And I think I think that um, you know that the, the Republican Party generally. Um, you know, the the people who are actually the strategists are probably you know really pulling their hair out, knowing that that reproductive rights and, and abortion rights are going to be extremely galvanizing in a in a way that is just going to keep going as as long as it needs to go. You know, um, and to your point earlier uh, about the polls. I think that, you know, one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about this particular story, not only because it was a good one, but because, it, you know, this story and then also um, New Jersey, we had talked a couple weeks ago about how there was stories that New Jersey's, because of trans students, actually, that was what the story said, because of, of progressive policies with trans students, that there was a risk that New Jersey's legislature would flip to the Republicans. Did not happen. In fact, it was it was the opposite. There got there was actually more Democrats, you know, than there were previously. But this goes to a lot of news coverage, especially certain twenty four seven operations like CNN. They are economically financially invested in things being down to the wire and being horse races and being. Uh, you know, sort of gloom and doom and pulled back from the brink and all of these kind of narratives, these these emergency narratives. And they are not to be trusted, you know, when it comes to things like poll polling um, and public sentiment, because they they have, you know, it is better for them 
for things to seem dire and things to seem at risk and and you know sort of up in the air uh you know if, if it's a runaway success you know that no one wants to watch that yeah so what they what they do is they gin up conflict and sometimes you know even through dishonest you know sort of polling practices and other things like that so you know be careful you know when you when you hear these these kind of these polls coming out so early and you know who's who are who's running the poll what questions are they asking and also who are they asking it of it's not right now the this is junk this, this is junk polling and it's only really meant to create uh stories that get clicks at this point you know can you only imagine if we had the same rules that the old mothership has over in merry old england because there is a limited season for running campaigns. They don't get to do this for two years and four years and all that. You know, it's like not as soon as, you know, one campaign is over, then they're on to starting the next. It's in terms of what they can do in terms of, you know, writing about it and broadcasting and whatnot and having that dialogue with the public. The campaigns themselves are not allowed to campaign indefinitely. They, I think they get a matter of six or eight weeks. And boy, can you imagine what our lives would be like and how we could get on with paying attention to other important things if we weren't focused on who's running and for how long and when and, you know, and all of their nonsense and their lies and BS? I mean, that would be, I mean, that would be fantastic. Unfortunately, um, the Supreme Court specifically the Republican, sort of the conservatives on the Supreme Court, um, there are two things they're interested in. One is establishing a religious caliphate, and two, eviscerating campaign finance reforms and other reforms on right. campaigning. And so we're in a place where, you know, instead of actually going in, in the other direction of kind of right-sizing and kind of putting any kind of rational guardrails on campaigning, we have rampant, constant, uh, you know, mon dark money and money sloshing around, and you know, and and it, it becomes a constant, like you said, a constant campaign, um, because it's really about uh, this endless fountain of money, this you know, this fire hose of money, you know, from all different directions. Um, and it's too, it's too alluring to too many people. And, you know, and I, I, I have to say that that's not limited to the right. That is on the left too. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the, the siren song of, of huge amounts of money coming from PACs and from, you know, uh, these, you know, sort of tax sheltered, you know, uh, entities and stuff it's it's appalling but because of the supreme court's rulings on campaign finance reform and you know basically saying spending money is speech we're in a place where there's no there's no kind of uh there's no window for actually putting any fetters on the on this kind of constant campaign and constant money grub yeah well Money is the at the heart of all of it for sure, and I and again I think we ought to certainly put a restriction on anybody who's elected to public office, like not being able to go to work on K Street, you know, or be a uh, a uh, any sort of a lobbyist for like fifteen years out of their after they're out of public office because that's what they're all looking to do, and that's how they that's how they get to that money thing. 
you know they oh, do yeah, the favors yeah. while they're you know while they're in office and then they get they get their future protected forever to continue to get more of that you know um payoff money of course. I mean, and and that that's also how we end up with, you know, things like we've talked about before, regulatory capture, yep. um, where you have a, a particular industry that is regulated. And what you have is a revolving door between the regulators and the industry. Um, and there's and so when you have this kind of, um, you know, again, money talks and it's like you can make. You know, let's say you can make one hundred thousand dollars a year being the head of an agency you can make 1.5 million lobbying at to that agency. Yeah. You know, it's, it's th- just th- absurd. Yeah. It's, 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 it, it is. And, and there, there really are very few limitations that are allowable at this point. Um, be, again, because, because the conservatives on the Supreme court, um, you know, have really uh, shut off the, any, you know, they've, they've kicked out the legs of, campaign finance reform and, and of any kind of sort of lobbying reform. Because if you look at, you know, again, look at, look at who, who they, who, who those people are, look at Clarence Thomas. I mean, talk about, a, you know, a, someone who is just grifting, um, you know, and the stories that came out, you know, over this last year um, of just the amount of absolute kind of corrupt graft and just, you know, the private planes, the, the lavish vacations, um, none of it disclosed, you know, like n- no recusals. Um, and speaking, really, of, speaking of grifters, somebody who most people have never even heard of until like 10 seconds ago was this guy, Mike Johnson, who's now the the Speaker of the House of Representatives. And, uh, and he's been busy trying to uh, punish Pete Buttigieg, the Transportation Secretary. Um, uh, what happened there? Oh, uh, well, so there's there's two stories. There's two Pete Buttigieg stories. There is the Mike Johnson story, and then there is the Marjorie Taylor Greene story. A uh, uh, poor Pete Buttigieg. It's like he he's doing the yeoman's work of trying to be like the person who's like, you know, will speak on Fox News and who will try to like, you know, to reach across the aisle and speak for the for gays and he's he's doing a lot of hard work but what he did with mike johnson is you know mike johnson is virulently anti-gay for you know and has spoken out sort of about that basically gays are immoral and evil and shouldn't exist yeah he's a super christer yeah and and pete Buttigieg, you know in that kind of folksy way that he does, you know, spoke out and said, you know, would invited him to come spend a day, you know, with, with him and Chase and, and just see what their life is like with their kids. You know, he's, he's doing that thing where it's like, oh, you know, actually being gay is just, it's just, you know, taking the kids to soccer practice. And, you know, he was putting on his folksy cap, um, and trying to kind of, you know, I, I think in, in the most gentle Buttigiegian way, um, you know, kind of uh, speak out against that kind of, you know, the, the, the strong rhetoric coming from Mike Johnson. And on the other front, uh, somebody wants to, you know, or a group of people want to cut his pay to a buck a year. Right. So that was MTG, um, as as she is called sometimes, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Uh, I believe they, they did pass the amendment, an amendment 
that would slash the um, Secretary of Transportation's uh, salary to $1. And part of it was a bunch of garbage about him flying to Canada for, to advocate for gayness, which was not actually even accurate. Oh my God. I just want to go punch her in the fucking face now. <laughs> I'm sorry. I know we're not supposed to use this platform for that, but I just want to punch her in the fucking face. I'll tell you the little meme I saw about her yesterday, which was, it made me fucking belly laugh like you can't believe. Stay with us. We've got more of the happy hour coming your way. With Richie Roy, I'm Johnny Mack. Call us, 760-677-0111, if you think that you could add something to our conversation uh, or, you know, get us excited. Stay with us. The Gay BC Happy Hour continues with or without pumpkin spice. Your taste, your show, and your humble hosts, Richie Roy and Johnny Mack. Hello, and welcome back to the happy hour. Um, Happy hour. Indeed. Happy hour. So um, Marjorie Taylor Greene is seen in this meme with two little speech bubbles coming out, one out the left side and one out the right side of her mouth. She's standing there holding a microphone. And the one on the left says, here's what I know. And the one on the right says, rib condoms don't taste like ribs. (laughs) And I think that that pretty much describes about how intelligent she is. Yeah, she's she's a piece of work. Yeah. So so this segment, we were trying to figure out what to do in this segment. And and what we ended up on is actually sort of a little bit of of a public service announcement type of topic Um, and i think it's actually a pretty good one we had a friend Um, today who actually had scheduled a liaison with somebody that this person was going to be intimate with and it was not somebody who um who was known to them previous to their communicating uh through one of those hookup apps and It just, we think it really bears repeating, not to say people shouldn't use those to meet people or anything like that, but you have to be careful. And when this person actually arrived at the address that he was supposed to go to, um, he fortunately did not immediately get out of the car and did, you know, a little um, sleuthing and did a little more once he did get out of the car and, you know, didn't just go in. But, um, things did not seem right and sure enough they weren't and I'm not going to go into the details of it because I don't want to give away too much or you know location or anything like this but it was very much one of those circumstances when under a little more investigation it could have been a trap house Uh, you know a scenario where you'd end up going in and somebody may not really even truly be gay uh, or may have some sort of nefarious idea in mind to ensnare uh, a gay person into a situation where they could not only be hurt or never heard from again, uh, but, you know, just end up in a real nightmare. And 
So I mean, I don't know about you, Richie, but my feeling is, and this is what I tell all my friends who are prone to having these kinds of liaisons, um, is you always got to meet somebody in a neutral place in public first and, and get to know them at least a little tiny bit before you're going to, you know, hop into the sack or something like that with them. Um, and I know that you had another really great point about what people should do and letting other people know where they're headed. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that, that what you mentioned is kind of the, it's the gold standard. It's, um, you really should meet someone in a neutral place, a, a bar, a restaurant, a coffee shop, a mall, a whatever, bookstore. um, you know, a gas station, you know, it yeah. doesn't, I mean, you know, but, but not just walk into someone's house that, that is really, you know, the safest thing is to not do that. S- secondarily though, um, is, you know, with, we all have phones now, um, our smartphones with us and, have a friend and share your location with them. Um, if you're going to be going out and meeting up with someone, um, you know, because, you know, and, and, and let them check in on you. And I know um, that other people and, have, have gone a step further. And when they've done that and set that up with, with a friend of theirs, they've told them, look, if you haven't heard from me by such and such time, call me or text me. And if you don't hear back, know that there's some reason to be concerned yeah yeah it, it it's just it's kind of good it's it's a good practice to put in place and and you know um because uh you know sometimes people are thinking not with the, the not with the big head but the other head and they get themselves into risky situations um and, you know, like you mentioned, um, you know, things like a, a trap house or, you know, someone who might want to harm people. There's also um, situations, too, where, um, you know, and this this does happen where um, people also aren't per- perfectly honest with what they're up to. For instance, um, they may be involved in something like P&P, which is, um, you know, sex involving drugs, you know, like meth. Right. or other things like that and you aren't aware that that is something that is on the table and then you're in the place and in the moment and then suddenly things that you aren't approving I've never of met are you, happening Richie, but can i get you something to drink while we're getting to know each other what was that i said um i don't know you i've never met you before but could i get you something to drink uh while we get to know each other Right. You know, I mean, and then you get roofied or something like that. And next thing you know is you don't know. And all of a sudden you're waking up in a ditch or feeling like you're in one. Yeah. And so, you know, and, and this isn't to, you know, this isn't to, again, kind of, uh, you know, to kind of put it, you know, to, to put a damper on people's, you know, it, you know, it, enthusiasm for exploring their sexual nature, but it's about just kind of put, having some basic sort of guidelines and sort of security measures in place. Right. Um, because, you know, it's, it's, it can be dicey. Um, and especially, you know, if you're, um, in, uh, physically isolated places, if you're in suburbs, let's say, you know, if, if you're in the middle of, if you're going to, you know, cause we're actually thinking about like, if you're gonna, if you're going to a hotel, let's say that is relatively, con- you know, compared to other things, a bit lower risk 
because you can always go out into the hallway. You can always, you know, uh, you know, go to the lobby. You can, you know, whatever. But if you're going to some suburban house out in the middle of nowhere in your car, um, you're really at, you're sort of at high risk. Yeah, and this friend, by the way, upon doing a little further investigation, they did look through the windows and saw, because this place was supposedly an Airbnb, but it looked like it, a disaster zone on the inside. So, you know, probably not a place that somebody's at as a vacation rental. Um, so, you know, just be smart, let a friend know, and be sure that you know something more about this person than just uh, supposedly their first name. Stay with us. The happy hour continues, and it will be happy. I promise you. Our recommendations and demerits coming. Our hints from hell always. The Gay BC Radio Network presents the weekly public service. The Gay BC Happy Hour Seal of Approval. Does it fly or does it die? Products, services, and customer service that will turn you on or turn you off. Does the cup runneth over or has the well gone dry? Richie and Johnny, take it away. Welcome back to the happy hour. And yes, it is our illustrious uh, recommendation and demerit segment. Um, And we have some good ones this week. Um, So I will start with a recommendation. Okay. And uh, it is the occasion of Joni Mitchell's 80th birthday. And um, she's doing really well. She had a stroke a few years ago uh, that was pretty significant, but she is now back singing and talking and, you know, being her wonderful self. And so my recommendation this week is actually the music of Joni Mitchell. For those of you who don't know her work, um, she has been an icon and a legend for decades. And um, she's my probably my favorite musician of all time. Um, and I would say if you're if you're not if you if you're not familiar with her music, um, I would start with the, um, the album Court and Spark. That album is perfect from head to tails. Um, Hissing of Summer Lawns, Hijira, um, Blue is also great. Uh, she's had she has so many albums, but those those are kind of these seminal main albums that really for me just cement her her legacy as being one of the most talented musicians, songwriters, and singers um, ever. And um, I'm so happy that she's still with us and she's still with it and you know doing her thing. And uh, there's there's active sort of um, re-releases, and I've been getting some of them from the Joni Mitchell archives of things like her live, like sort of um, live performances, which are amazing and voluminous. Um, so once you kind of delve into Joni and if you, if you kind of like what you hear, there's so much to go on. And, and the thing that's interesting about her voice is she had this, when she was young, this extremely high voice, um, this beautiful bell toned voice. She also was an extremely heavy smoker. And over the course of decades, her voice became this, different and equally beautiful dusky kind of hazy beautiful almost like baritone and so you get to hear her performing songs like both sides now um and 
you know, from her earliest voice, uh, you know, singing a song about sort of maturity and age uh, as a youngster to singing it as a very sort of old, wise woman with this deep voice. It's just it's a it's just it is a delightful uh, thing to get into. And so my recommendation is to on the occasion of, of her 80th birthday, get into Joni Mitchell. Nice. Well, you know me. <laughs> Cup half empty. Um, so I was elated to read yesterday about the fact that it looked like the SAG after strike was coming to an end. I have many friends who are in the industry and, you know, I'd love to be able to see them get back to work and not, you know, be held up by the greed of the Hollywood studios and such. And, you know, I, I'm a little irritated that uh, television shows that I usually am watching by this time of year don't exist this year because they've been on strike and there was no production over the summer and so on. But then after being so happy that the SAG after strike was basically over, they wasted no time in getting a little email out to me from a company that many of you love and love the stuff that comes from it, and that's Netflix. So I'm doubting that I was the only person this week who was a little agitated when I woke up and opened my email this morning, and there was an email from Netflix. A lot of times I just delete them because it's, you know, them promoting a new thing coming out or something like that, and I just don't have time to read through all that all the time. And besides, they put all those promotions up when you log in that have, you know, oh, new this week or coming soon or whatever. And there was this note that said, updating prices to bring you more. Hi, John. Here we are, not 48 hours from the strike being announced that it was going to be over with. Hi, John. We hope you're enjoying everything Netflix has to offer. We're updating the price of the premium plan to $22.99 a month, bringing your new monthly total to $22.99 on December 9, 2023. <sighs> I am so sick and tired of getting nickeled and dimed to death by, well, everything. I mean, we all you know, are. But... You know, the problem is is that there's too many of these services and there's too many things I like that are spread out amongst different ones. And there are some that I have never subscribed to because I just was like, I'm not going there. Like Disney Plus, fuck it. That's not ever going to happen with me. Not that I don't like Disney stuff. Not that I don't like Star Wars. Not that I don't occasionally want to watch something that's on ESPN or whatever. Not going there. Sorry. But... You know, I I already have cut back uh, Hulu and uh, Paramount Plus and uh, Apple TV, and I think I still subscribe to the premium from Peacock because they have a number of shows that I like to watch. But, yeah, Netflix and Amazon Prime, I'm going to keep those around, but now I've got to pay even more for that. And the fact that I'm, I'm trying to sit here and rationalize in my head that I'm going to pay close to $300 in the next year to keep Netflix going. And the only way I can do that is to justify that, well, okay, so you're going to screw the local movie theater out because it, I'm, going to, I'm going to justify it in my head by going, 
Charlie and I are not going to go to at least one movie a month. You know, because that's what this is going to cost us is the equivalent right. of that that ticket or those tickets, and it just kind of sucks. You know, it's well, like give me a break. Okay. Well, y- what what sucks about it is is it, it this is it, this is not the first industry that this has happened to, which is Silicon Valley burns through VC venture capital right. to put a product out at a price that's very alluring to br- and it breaks an, an existing economic model which in this case was you know cable television and movies and they they sold the idea that you could have everything you ever wanted for $9 a month and everyone was like that sounds great let's let's do that right that model was never sustainable it was always based on a capital burn rate and at some point, the capital starts drying up, and then they jack the prices up. And what we ended up happening is people cut the cord to cable, and cable is now kind of sort of a dead letter, right? Uh, you know, in many respects. But what we end up with is then buying a bunch of different a la carte random products like Hulu, Netflix, Disney Plus, Apple Plus, whatever, and ending up spending more than you did for cable for what is actually kind of a like a worse thing because you know you 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 have to hunt around to find the content amongst all these different random products that you're purchasing that then also raise their prices because the price was never a real price to begin with right and so it's breaking an existing model that works by through a, like an economic shell game and so then what you end up with is then also you know with things like streaming it also immiserates and kind of um you know eviscerates the pay structure for things like actors and so yeah it it, it just sucks all around right. because we end up with with some you know with a worse situation um and end up spending the same amount of money for something worse i remember when we used to have five tv stations the ABC, NBC, CBS, PBS affiliates, and usually one independent television station at least where they played all the old stuff, you know. And and then, you know, cable comes around, and it was so great because you had access to all these different things, and then the various cable networks came into being. And, and now you could get, you know, you, if you were into farting, you could get the fart channel. But it's just gone too freaking far. And, of course, the big complaint in the past, I don't know, decade was maybe longer than a decade was that you had to take what the cable companies gave you and that you couldn't just pick, you know, uh, pick and choose like an a la carte menu what you wanted, which should have been the case from the get-go. You should have been able to say, you know, I want – this, 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 and this channel. That's what matters. Plus, you know, the local TV channels and maybe one movie channel or something. But no, we've always been forced to do this. And now we're in that same position with Netflix and Prime. I mean, they're nothing different than, you know, than Xfinity or uh, Spectrum or whatever they call themselves this week. You know, any of those kinds of companies it's all the same thing and we're just paying more and more and more and more i mean i've watched my bills go from like 75 up to 150 bucks and then i'll get rid of a bunch of stuff and it goes back down again and it you know and a year later you're back up in that other stratosphere yeah no it's it's 
it is lamentable. You know, at the end of the day, it's just um, it, it's both, I think, kind of like people say it's the golden age for, you know, for moving pictures, you know, because there are such amazing shows that are now available to us on things like Netflix. But at the same time, it also is kind of this like nadir of yeah. moving image because it's it's it, it's the, the the economic model is so scrambled and so yeah. screwed up. Uh, and, you know, that is why we had things like the WGA strike and the SAG-AFTRA strike is because also, um, you know, streaming uh, is not, you know, th there was a there was a way in which the kind of older models got money into the pockets of people who were, you know, who made content. When you look at things like streaming, you know, whether it's Spotify or Netflix or whatever, that money is is going to Netflix, it is going to Spotify, and it is and the amount of royalties that that come out of streaming models are either zero or nominal. Yeah, and so when everyone is listening to music on Spotify and not buying any music, physical music at all, um, you 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 end up with an economy where it's not it, it's almost not economically viable to make music. Yeah, you know, it makes me want to see some organization come into existence that becomes a union on behalf of all of the entertainment consumers that goes back to that industry. And, and the same thing with, you know, uh, mobile phones and, and other things like that that have become critical, uh, you know, broadband, and that fights for the American consumer and tells them, look, we're, we're going we're gonna to go on strike and quit paying for your crap if you don't get real and make it somehow uh, viable for you as a business but affordable for us as a consumer marketplace I mean I think I think where that I mean the, the a union of, of consumers that's that's a little bit tricky I think I think the easier answer is that's where regulation comes in like I, we should have I mean like the FCC should should have you know should have a much greater role in you know kind of what because you know basically the fcc you know has uh control over things like you know phones right phones and terrestrial television and over the air radio but when it comes to things like stream you know, basically the internet the fcc has like no jurisdiction well they do and they're just starting to get it back again but yes in when the former guy was in office uh, the work that had started with the preceding administration to start doing something about that basically threw the whole thing into the toilet because, of course, that doesn't suit the um, uh, GOP's, uh, you know, initiatives. So they, you know, dunked it, and now we're back to where they're starting to work on net neutrality issues and having some of those concerns about you know, them having to live up to various standards and provide services. And, of course, I think that, um, uh, you know, that President Biden uh, has played a significant role in that with his advocacy for the infrastructure bills that have put a lot of money into getting uh, high-speed Internet into places all over the country that have not had the benefit of that. But, you know, there's still a lot of um, shenanigans being played on Capitol Hill around that. And God damn it, I think we all should have fiber 
to every freaking address in America, business, home, etc. And considering how much we pay for these things that, you know, these high-speed services and such for the military and for colleges and, you know, other higher uh, institutions, uh, since we're picking up the tab for a lot of that anyway, uh, I think we should be able to have that as home, you know, consumers and be able to count on the same level of services. But off my soapbox and I got to make way here to bring the ice buckets in because Richie is ready to make some cocktails. Stay with us. It is the happy hour with Richie Roy. I'm Johnny Mack. Thanks for being along. And again, if you'd like to give a shout, we're at 760-677-0111. Mixologist Richie Roy and his ice cube handler Johnny Mac present the latest lessons from the Gay BC Happy Hour School of Mixology. As they say at Gay BC, bottoms up. Yes. Are you in yes. position? What was that? Are you in position? I am in position. I have my apron on. I have my highball glass ready to go. And is um, your bottom up? <laughs> So I, I full disclosure, um, I am not drinking the the drink I'm going to recommend uh, currently tonight. I'm not drinking. I'm currently having a glass of Tattinger champagne because I'm celebrating uh, a wonderful week. Uh, and I also have a long weekend ahead of me. So I am toasting with a little champagne. But that is not my drink of choice for the week. Before we get out of here, by the way, uh, and I'll do this after you've had a chance to whip this concoction up. Um, I want to talk about an event that has had my uh, life tied up in knots since January, but came to a, a beautiful uh, conclusion last night and share that with our audience. And I think you have some really great news to share, too. So we'll try yeah. and get that in. Yeah. So I, I will be quick with the drink. The, so a, a very good friend of mine um, is was is putting together a dinner party menu, um, which sounds absolutely incredible. And one of the constituent ingredients is pickled persimmons. And when I heard pickled persimmons, I was like, oh, right. It's persimmon season. I love persimmons and it's, they are totally this autumnal fruit. And they just they always remind me of the autumn um, you know, for those of you who don't know, there's two varieties. There's Hachia and Fuyu. They're these kind of orange uh, fruits that, that are kind of a little tangy, a little tannic, taste kind of like cinnamon, taste kind of like a squash. They're really delicious, and I just love them. And so I did a little hunting around, and I found a recipe for a persimmon old-fashioned. Mm. And... Um, Basically, what you do is you make a persimmon puree with uh, fuyu persimmons that you chop up with some maple syrup and a cinnamon stick, and you cook that down and whip it up into a puree. And then you take some bourbon, some lemon juice, some uh, juice from a clementine, some bitters, some uh, persimmon puree, and a little sparkling water, and you've got a sort of a whiskey 
and persimmon beverage. Um, you know, I, I calling it an old fashioned, I think that's a little bit of, an, of a misnomer, you know, for this recipe because an old fashioned is a pretty simple drink. But this is a whiskey based persimmon uh, cocktail that uh, sounds amazing. And I think that um, that that is that's what I'm going with for the alcoholic drink of the week um, because, you know, it's sort of autumnal. And we you know whiskey or bourbon, you know, is also kind of a nice cold weather sort of beverage. So, gonna go with that one for the for the alcoholic drink. And then, you know, just real quick uh, for the non-alcoholic drink, I'm gonna recommend uh, San Pellegrino's Chinoto, which is a kind of a bitter orange flavored uh, fizzy water um, or fizzy drink. It's not widely available. You can get, but you can get it on Amazon. And it's uh, it's an, it's it's very kind of Italian, sort of almost tastes like Campari, um, but very complicated flavors, very quen- you know sort of thirst quenching, and really has that kind of like cocktail vibe to it. And it's just it's called Chinotto, C H I N O T T O, Pellegrino, and um, definitely worth worth checking that one out. It's great on ice. Um, but yeah, those are the drinks for the week. Awesome. Well, last night. Uh- was the annual performance here in the Coachella Valley of an event that uh, has been going on for uh, 17 years called Michael Childers Presents One Night Only. And this year's theme was Las Vegas, the Golden Age, 1950 to 1970. It was held at the McCallum Theater, uh, and it featured a number of really great uh, performers from Broadway and Hollywood and they all descend on on the desert for a night where they each perform between one and three uh, songs, uh, some done in duos or with the entire cast, but um, most of the artists just do a single song themselves and uh, within the theme of the night. And so um, some artists you may be familiar with, uh, Richie, having uh, been not far off Broadway, but people like... uh, I spent time with last night, like Clea Blackhurst and Debbie Boone. You may remember she lit up some lives, I think, at one time. Um, <laughs> John Boswell, uh, Julie Garnier, uh, uh, let's see, Clint Holmes, who was amazing doing uh, some stuff, uh, some music of Sammy Davis Jr. And um, also uh, Chris Mann was there and uh, Tamika Lawrence and... Uh, just amazing uh, performances. Billy Stritch, who is amazing on the piano. Jennifer Lee Warren was there, and a uh, number of other uh, artists who were there. I think about 24, 25 in total. Uh, the event was directed by and actually also sung in uh, Scott Coulter, who does performances all over the country. Uh, I mean, he's like performing three times a week. Uh, in different cities all across the United States. And so if he comes to your town and, and is doing one of the shows that he produces uh, and it comes to your city, please see it because he's just an amazing person. Anyway, all of the money benefiting the Barbara Sinatra Children's Center for uh, Child Abuse and helping deal with kids who've been in abusive families and dealing with sexual abuse and that kind of stuff. And so it goes to a really good cause. It's part of the um, Eisenhower a medical center program here in the Coachella Valley. And so um, just a really, really fun evening, and everybody loved the music. And 
of course it was fun to uh, hobnob the night before with a bunch of uh, folks at the cast party and then again last night at the uh, better than rubber chicken dinner it turns out this year uh, that we had hmm. at the uh, at the casino resort here after the show so it was it was just a fantastic night and uh, my dear friend Michael Childers, who puts it together, who's a prolific photographer uh, over the last you know sixty years, um, and whose partner for thirty-seven years was uh, John Schlesinger, the Oscar award-winning director of films. Uh, you know, it included uh, like Marathon Man and also, uh, of course, Midnight Cowboy, which he won the Oscar for. Uh, Michael produces it, and my significant other, Charlie, who was the co-producer of the event. So congratulations to all of them for uh, a fantastic event that they've been working to build all year long. So that was fun. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And, and you know, one of the things that I did notice when I was uh, in Palm Springs is um, it does seem like there is, um, and I don't know what, I think, I, I don't know why it is, but it seems like there is kind of a really strong culture of philanthropy in in Palm Springs in terms of, you know, good causes and sort of having events and people really, you know, putting their money where their mouth is for, for a, trying to make things, you know, sort of better. For a place as small as this is, too, um, it might surprise you to know that I think that there's more than 600 501c3 nonprofit organizations here in the Coachella Valley, which is uh, astounding. And yeah. of course, we have a huge commitment here to um, the arts, uh, entertainment, culture, uh, uh, and uh, architecture and film. You know, all of that stuff is really huge here. So, anyway, it was fun to also be able to show some of that off to you and, and let you get a, a little flavor of, of where, where we are from. And uh, and you, we were sitting on pins and needles all weekend, and just as you were on your way back to upstate New York on Monday, you got some really great news too. That's true. I got uh, I I got a new job. Um, I'm going to be working at a liberal arts college as the assistant general counsel, um, which I'm really excited about. I think it's going to be. Um, a pretty in, engaging, interesting job. I have to say, I also, I'm a big fan of college campuses. They're just fun. Um, there's just like, there's this like electric energy, you know, all the students around kind of milling around and, you know, the beautiful, you know, the beautiful physical plant of, of a liberal arts college. And I was checking to, it out and I'm telling you, it is not just a really neat uh, facility there. It is such a picturesque uh, environment that it's in right on the shores of a river and all the trees around and all it was just gorgeous i can't wait yeah. to go and visit it with you yeah no I, i'm really excited about it so yeah that was that was like it was it was the little icing on the cake because um i have to say you know leaving palm springs um was difficult because we had so much fun and i was um you know flying back home and uh you know, uh, then I get to Phoenix uh, for a layover and then I get this phone call and it kind of, um, you know, it, it definitely uh, made the trip home all the sweeter. So, yeah, it was it was nice. Um, and so uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for that. Um, but, uh, you know, one thing I did want to say about uh, earlier about the um, about the events that you were going to, uh, I, I, I find it very funny that um, 
you were prevented from wearing a very specific shirt. And uh, <laughs> maybe I'll expose it next week on the show or to our audience on the website and we can talk about it. I think you should. I think you should post okay. a picture of you in the shirt. I've seen the shirt and it is it is really quite something. Yeah. And um, I think it's worth it's worth uh, showing. I would our, have been much happier if that had been the TV test pattern back in the late sixties. <laughs> I certainly was a fan of the show in real time at that time when it was first on the air. So, all right. With that, we're going to bid you a fond adieu for another week, and we hope that you'll let your friends and others know about, you know, even your enemies. Let them know that we're here on (laughs) Thursdays to guide them through another week uh, on the GBC Happy Hour with Richie Roy. I'm Johnny Mack. May your shadow fall in pleasant places. Have a great week, everyone.